This morning, the, the sermon is going to be about what it means to know Christ, in whom are all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. And Paul speaks about that also in 1 Corinthians when he calls Christ the wisdom of God. And that's what we're going to look at in our scripture reading this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. Hear these words from your God. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This morning, our sermon comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It's Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what Paul writes. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Who's the most important person you've ever met? I want you to think about that. Who is the most important person you've ever met? I know some of you have actually met some pretty well-known people. Maybe maybe he's a well-known pastor. Maybe he's even a politician, an athlete. But if you're anything like me, though, nobody came to mind. I guess I live a pretty boring life. Um, But actually, Paul would say to me, and he would say to you, there is one person that each one of us knows Each one of us knows the most important person 
in all the world, in all of history, we know Jesus Christ. That's actually what Paul says here is the most important thing. The most important person you could ever know is Jesus Christ. And Paul works hard in his ministry so that believers working together would know Jesus Christ. But Paul actually goes even further in this passage because Paul says we need to look closely at who Christ is. And as Paul looks at Christ as the one who has all knowledge and wisdom, Paul understands that if we know Christ and we know the truth of who he is and what he's done, and we know that in a saving way by faith, then we have all the knowledge and wisdom and understanding that we will need. That, that kind of statement, it might feel like an overstatement that we really do have everything that we need in Christ, but there really is nothing Nothing more important than knowing and believing in Jesus. Really, that's the main idea. The main idea of this passage is that God is calling you. He's calling you and he's calling me to know Christ because Christ alone has all the wisdom and knowledge that we need. Again, God is calling us now. He is calling us to know Christ Because in Christ and in Christ alone, there's all the wisdom and knowledge that we need. Now, as as we look at this passage together, you'll notice Paul is still talking about his own ministry. We saw that in the previous verses. This is carrying on. But even as, again, even as he talks about his own ministry, he's helping the Colossians, and he's helping us to see the greatness of knowing Christ. The focus is never on Paul The focus is always on Christ. So as we see that need to know Christ, we'll see three basic points. We'll see the encouragement of Paul's ministry in verse 1. We'll see the purpose of Paul's ministry, which is to know Christ in verses 2 to 3. And we'll see one application in verses 4 to 5. So first, the encouragement of Paul's ministry. We see that in verse 1. Paul wants the Colossians to know that he is working very hard for them. He writes, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Now Paul is encouraging the Colossians by describing his his ongoing ministry for them. That the, the struggle that he's describing here. That struggle is his ministry. It's what he's just been writing about in verses 28 to 29. And back there, he said that the goal of his ministry is to present everyone, including the Colossians, everyone mature in Christ. And Paul pursued that goal this way, struggling, struggling with all Christ's energy that he powerfully works within me. So as Paul starts to focus more on the Colossians here in verse 1, he is telling them that he is working hard for them as well. Now, Paul has never met the Colossians. That comes out very clearly here. He's never met the Colossians. He hasn't met those Christians down the road in Laodicea. And actually, there's a lot of Christians now in Paul's day that he's never, ever met. That means that he never was able to minister directly to the Colossians. They never got to hear him preach. 
never sat down with him to look at scriptures together. They never saw his godly example. But Paul is still powerfully ministering to them right now in this letter. He's doing that through the men he's trained, maybe people like Epaphras, who brought the message of the gospel to the Colossians. He's ministering to them through letters like this one that we're reading. But most especially, Paul is ministering to these believers who are far away from him. He's ministering to them in prayer. Paul works hard for the Colossians in prayer. Now, Epaphras, the Colossians' pastor, is described actually in the same way as doing the same thing at the end of this letter. Colossians 4.17, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Paul is praying for the Colossians because Paul knows that prayer has immense power. And prayer has immense power because we are praying to our all-powerful God for the things that he wants to do, the things that he has told us to pray for, like praying for believers that we've never met. Now, we, we can all grow in our prayers privately and as a congregation. Prayer should be essential for us as the people of God. Let me just push a little bit further here and encourage us to grow in our prayers, especially for churches and believers we may never meet. I don't often do show and tell during sermons, but here's an example of that. Remember, in the back of New Horizons, what do we have? Well, we have a prayer calendar. This prayer calendar is bringing the needs of believers in the OPC and believers around the world to our attention. This is a great resource to do the exact same thing that Paul is doing here, to minister to our brothers and sisters that we may never meet. So Paul, in verse 1, is really trying to encourage the Colossians. He's trying to encourage the Colossians by describing his ministry of prayer for them. And Paul's ministry, Paul's struggle, Paul's prayers have a purpose. They are very focused. And the purpose is what Paul describes in verses 2 to 3. Our second point is the purpose of Paul's ministry. It's very simple. Know Christ. In verse 2, Paul writes, he does all these things, he struggles for them, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. The core of what Paul is saying in this verse is this. He ministers so that believers are encouraged and their encouragement then leads them to know Christ. Everything in this verse is pointing toward that one final thing, a knowledge of Christ. That's the goal. And Paul writes that the first step toward that goal of a knowledge of Christ is encouragement. Paul's goal is that their hearts may be encouraged. Paul is describing there an encouragement that really affects the very core of who we are. If you think about what the Bible means when it talks about a heart, our hearts, it's much bigger than what we normally think of. We think of just kind of our emotions or something like that. But for the Bible and for Paul, the heart is the center of who we are. It's the core of our being. It's our emotions. It's our thoughts. It's our spiritual life. Everything there. 
And Paul is saying is he works hard in prayer to encourage people at the very core of our being. And that kind of deep encouragement that Paul is working for, he says, comes through our unity in the body of Christ. Paul says that we are encouraged being knit together in love. Paul's talking about the unity of believers that the Holy Spirit produces. That that language of, of knit together, that's the language of a body, right? That's what Paul is actually driving at. He's looking at us as the body of Christ. Later in the same chapter, actually in verse 19, he says a very similar thing. He says that we are holding fast to the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. The Holy Spirit is the one who binds us to Christ and to each other in the church. And the the way Paul describes the Spirit's work here is love. It's the love that the Holy Spirit produces. And that love is like the glue. It's like the ligaments. It's like the tendons that hold us together in the body of Christ. That, that is a love, and that is a unity that only God can produce. There is nothing like what we should be like, nothing like what we are, nothing like that in the world. And that's part of the encouragement that Paul draws from that. Paul says that we are encouraged at the very core of our being because God is the one doing this. God is the one at work. And as we see God at work, and as we actually live with God at work, We are encouraged to know Christ. That kind of encouragement that flows from that God-produced unity actually helps us to know Christ better. If you look at this sentence here, if you look at this verse here, you'll see that the two parts are actually connected. Their hearts are encouraged so that, or that, They may reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Again, that understanding, that knowledge of Christ is the goal. But Paul says it comes through that encouragement. And if you step back for a minute, what Paul really says here is stunning. Because Paul says that you and I and every other believer knows Christ when we are united together. Do you see that connection Listen to the words from Ephesians 4. Paul makes a similar point. He says, So Christ may dwell in your heart through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So it's a similar idea there and in our passage as well that we need one another in the church in order to know Christ. So do you want to know Christ? Yes, I I hope the answer is yes. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own. And the more you want to know Christ, the more involved you will be with your brothers and sisters in the church because that is the way that God has given us to know Jesus Christ. But let's look more carefully at that goal, that goal of knowing Jesus Christ. What are we working together for? Paul says that we are encouraged by our unity to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding 
and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, that understanding and that knowledge are really focused on the same thing. They are focused on Christ. The goal is Christ. And what Paul says first then is that understanding Christ, understanding who he is and what he's done, leads to all the riches of full assurance. All the riches of full assurance. Paul is already showing us right here by just giving one example, assurance. One example that knowing Christ has rich benefits for our lives. We have assurance because we understand that our salvation is completely secure in Christ. The Bible teaches that my salvation and your salvation is secure. It's not secure because what you've done or what you're doing now. It is secure because of what Christ has done. But you know what? I could tell somebody all those things. I could quote scripture to somebody till I'm blue in the face. I could tell them the facts about assurance and they would still possibly not truly understand Christ. That's because in order to truly know Christ, to understand Christ, we need to have facts, but we also need faith. We need to actually believe the truth. It's it's true in assurance. It's true in any other part of our salvation that we are really taking hold of Christ. We're not just taking hold of some truth about Christ. Salvation comes from knowing and believing your Savior. And once we do know Christ in that way, then the benefits are immense. Again, think of just this one example that Paul gives about assurance. Paul says, all the riches of full assurance is what we have in knowing Christ. He's piling up words to get at that reality of the depth of our confidence that we can have in Christ and the benefits, the many benefits that flow from it. Think about some of those riches, those riches that come from assurance. We have greater peace. We have greater love. We grow in thankfulness to God for what He's done. And we actually also have more strength and joy and cheerfulness as we're obeying God. That comes from knowing and understanding Christ. Now, all of this is helping us to understand what Christ is, what Paul is even getting at when he means to know Christ, to have this knowledge of Christ. Knowing Christ means that we have a relationship of faith with Him that is grounded in truth and grows in truth. We have that relationship of faith with Him that is grounded in truth and grows in truth. But even as I, as I say that, uh, we cannot separate truth from Jesus Christ Himself, right? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So even as we have that, that relationship of faith with Christ that's grounded in truth, it's actually grounded in Christ. It's grounded in Christ, and we are growing in Christ because He is truth itself. Think about what we know is true about Christ. Who do we know Jesus is? Let's just think of a few things here, right? This list could be completely endless. He's infinite. But let's just think of a few things. What do we know? Well, we know who He is as as the Son, as the eternal Son, one with the Father and the Spirit. We know He's the Word. He's the Creator, the Revealer. He's the Sustainer. But But Paul focuses us. He says He is the Christ. 
What do we know about Jesus as the Christ, as the promised Savior, as the mystery of God who is revealed? Well, there we see even more clearly the wisdom of God. We see what God is doing because Jesus is the Son of God sent from heaven to take on our nature, to obey and die in our place for our sins and to be raised and to reign and to do all of these things because he loves us. And he is also the promised Christ who gives us himself so that when we are saved, we're actually united to him. And now everything he has is now ours. Those kinds of things and so much more is the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. Knowing Christ means knowing that truth, knowing him and believing Why is that so important? Why is that so important? Well, in verse 3, Paul actually shows us why we need to know Christ, why we need this knowledge of Christ. Paul writes that we need to have a knowledge of Christ because in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It it, it is hard for us. It's it's actually impossible for us to wrap our minds around, around what Paul is saying here because it is so big And it is so deep. In Christ, and in Christ alone, there is all wisdom and all knowledge. Now, the image that Paul paints here is so memorable. All the treasures of knowledge and of wisdom are are hidden in Christ. It's like that scene from like a book or a movie. I can't get it out of my mind. Um, there's, There's this poster that I've seen of the movie The Hobbit. And there's Bilbo Baggins, and he's standing there, and there's a room full of treasure everywhere as far as the eye can reach. That's the picture here, that we are standing at the door of a storeroom that we cannot ever see the end of, and it is full to the brim of treasure. There's gold and diamonds as jewelry and jewelry as far as you can see, and that is what it is like to be in Christ. These are the inexhaustible riches of wisdom and knowledge that are Christ's. And those riches are hidden. Not hidden so we can't get at them. Not hidden so we don't know where they are. No, no, no. Hidden so that they're kept for us. They're ours. We can actually open that door by faith. We open that door and everything in that room All the knowledge, all the wisdom that you would ever possibly need and more is yours. Walk right in. Take it up. That is the image that Paul is saying here. We are allowed into that treasure room and we are allowed and encouraged to use anything there. But why is that the case? Well, because that is what Christ has won for us. Remember that if we're united to him, then everything that he has, everything in that treasure room is now ours. It's ours by right because he has made us worthy to take up those things. That means that we now have access to all the wisdom and knowledge we will ever need in Christ. And here's the payoff for us. Two simple parts. We cannot truly know anything apart from Christ. If it's true that those are all the treasures, if all is in Christ, we cannot truly know anything apart from Christ. But it also means that everything that we do need to know 
is only found in Christ. Let, let, let me try to illustrate what I mean by that. When we know Christ, when we really have access into that room, we know what the world is really like. It is in Christ and in Christ alone that we truly know God. We, we can see him in the creation he's made, that's true. But in Christ and the salvation he gives us, now we understand God. Now we know God. And in Christ and in Christ alone, we actually understand what sin is. We see how bad our sin is as we see him nailed to the tree. And in Christ and in Christ alone, we understand salvation and God's plan for us and for the whole world. You cannot know any of those central parts of your life apart from Christ. That truth, that truth is absolutely critical for us to know and believe because it means that any other kind of knowledge, any other kind of wisdom apart from Christ is so limited. Now, I don't mean that people can't know anything, right? You know how to drive. I hope you know the things that you've learned in school, the things that you've learned from your business or in life. People know many things. They're able to make wise decisions. I want my doctor to have gone to school. I want him to know how to fix me. I want a financial advisor who understands the markets and knows what's going to happen to my money. God graciously reveals truth to us and to everyone. But that kind of wisdom, that kind of knowledge, anything else is so limited because it has nothing to do with sin or salvation. And often, it just cuts God right out of the picture. Let me give you an example. It's like, let's say I went down to the beach and I met a man there and he said, oh, I know all about the ocean out there. He was pointing out there. He said, I know all about the ocean. I said, well, that's great. How do you know so much about the ocean? Well, he said, I've been standing here and I've been watching the waves. You do not know about the ocean because you've just seen the tiny portion at the very top. That man has no clue about what the ocean really is like because he doesn't know anything about the depths. That's similar to any kind of knowledge, any kind of wisdom apart from Christ. It's true. Doctor knows how to fix my bones, I hope. It's true, but it is so limited. And even in that, It's even more than just being limited because it does not know the depths of Christ. It does not know the depths of the world and the sin and the problem we're in and the depths of our salvation. I would have to ask that man, do you even really understand the waves? And I'd have to ask anyone else, do you really understand? Do you really know? Are you really wise? You call yourself that. You are to some extent, but do you really know? But if we have Christ, and we do, then we have an overwhelming abundance of wisdom and knowledge. I wish that made me a straight-A student. If I could just say, because I know Christ, I'm going to do super well in school, or even more, I wish that made me handy. I wish I could say, because I'm a Christian, I can fix anything I put my hands to. doesn't work. Hyojin can uh, well vouch for that. But we have, we don't have all those things maybe, but we do have the wisdom and knowledge that we need for right now. We have the wisdom and the knowledge that we need to be saved and to live lives that are glorifying to God. We can serve God in any situation. And we have the wisdom and the knowledge that we need for eternal life. What does Jesus say? He says eternal life is knowing, knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is the knowledge and the wisdom that we have in Christ and in Christ alone. There are many Many ways this affects our life and the life of the church. 
Paul chooses to focus on one application. That's our final point. The one application in verses 4 to 5. It, it's, it's tempting when we, when we hit a passage like this and it's so deep and it's so amazing to forget how it actually changes our life. Paul does not do that. Paul has been saying all of this stuff for one particular purpose, to firmly ground this in the lives of the Colossians. He has been saying this to counter the false teaching that the Colossians are experiencing. He says, I've said all of this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul seems to be targeting something that is going on in the church of Colossae. We'll see more in the rest of chapter 2 that there really is false teaching that's starting to get into the church. And whatever it was, it sounded pretty believable. Paul says plausible arguments. The the logic of what these guys were saying, it made sense. Maybe they even brought in Bible passages to support their view. See, it's, it's right there in the Bible what I'm saying. But Paul's point is that whatever they are saying is wrong. And the way that the Colossians are going to know it is wrong and to be able to resist it is by knowing and relying on Christ. It's not just the Colossians who have these kinds of dangers. We also are going to hear many plausible arguments during our Christian lives. There are so many ideas about Christianity kind of floating around, maybe on the internet or in a book or just in people's minds. They're going to tell you what they think. And we need to evaluate what is true and what is false. And the most basic rubric we can use is this. Is it the gospel? We know who Christ is and what he's done for us in the gospel. And sometimes when we hear something that somebody says, we can't quite put our finger on why it's wrong, but we do know it's wrong. Have you ever experienced that? Sometimes you hear that, you hear somebody's sermon, you hear somebody's statement, you're like, It's not quite right. Okay, how do you know that? How do you know it's not right? You know it because you know the real thing. You know Christ. Kind of like counterfeit money, right? I I have to admit, I I don't. I have hopefully haven't had counterfeit money. I don't. I don't know a lot about it. But people will tell you that when you have a counterfeit bill, the only way you're going to know is by looking at the real thing. Because that, maybe that $100 bill that the person gives you at the store, well, it's got Benjamin Franklin's picture here. It's got all these little details. Wow, it looks really good. It's really convincing. And they can even tell you, you know what? It's the real deal. Just take it. It's fine. It's okay. But the way you're know, you are going to know it's a fake is if you actually have a real $100 bill next to it. And you can look and you can compare. That's what we're doing in the Christian life. We know Christ so that we can know a fake gospel. We can know that this is not true what we're hearing. This is not true what we're reading. This is not true what this person is telling me. That was true for the Colossians and it's true for us. But Paul, even though he knows that this is a problem in the Colossian church, he actually ends this application here with with, with encouragement. He wants to encourage them to know that they're actually doing a pretty good job. They are knowing Christ. They are relying on Christ. What he sees is that they have not actually given in to those plausible arguments. How does he know this? How does he know that they're still okay? Well, he says that he rejoices to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. 
So here's the proof. They have good order and doctrine in life. They are patterning all that they do after Scripture. And they have a firm faith in Christ. They believe in Christ and they are not being shaken by what false teachers are saying. What Paul sees in the church in Colossae is a healthy church. False teaching always destroys, but the truth always produces good fruit. And that's what Paul sees here in this church. That's how Paul applies this passage to the specific situation facing the Colossians. As I thought about this verse, these verses here, something else stood out to me very clearly. That knowledge that Paul is describing here, the knowledge of Christ, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, these are for every single believer. Every single person here, every single person in our church has access to what's being described here. You do not need a graduate degree to know Christ. You don't. And to know Him deeply, you know the truth. You have Scripture. You're hearing preaching. You are in worship. Those are the things that God does to teach you who He is. I remember a man who came to one of our churches many years ago. He had maybe a middle school education at best. But as he read his Bible and he prayed by himself, and especially as he worshiped and he heard the word faithfully preached, that man earned a doctorate in the knowledge of Christ. When he died, he knew Christ so much more, even than some of us who had grown up in that church. And I want that to be an encouragement to us because wherever you are in your knowledge of Christ, and we're going to be growing in it, we're going to get to know Christ better. Know that he himself is the wisdom of God. So we've read about in Corinthians. He is the wisdom of God and he will give you what you need. He's going to give himself actually to make you grow. You don't need an advanced degree to know Christ and we need to be careful also not to make it seem like you do. Sometimes we can get so, talking about theology, we use all these fancy terms and it just, it feels like a smokescreen to people. They can't see what we're talking about. Here's the challenge. Can you explain? Can you explain what you see in scripture to a child? Can you take it and make it that simple so that even a child can know Christ? Because that's part of the amazing thing here is that if this is actually true for all believers, if this knowledge is for all believers, this knowledge is for our children who believe. They are able and entitled and enabled to know Christ. One other thing that really stood out to me in this passage, though, is it seems so clear. It seems so clear that we have what we need in Christ. Why don't other people see this? Why don't other people see Christ and see that he has knowledge and wisdom and understanding that they need. Why don't people see that? It's because of sin, right? What did we see in 1 Corinthians 1? The message of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are outside of Christ. As we mine these riches, as we know Christ better, and as we pray for others to know what we found, to see what we have in Christ, pray for faith. Because outside of faith, outside of God's work in their hearts, you are a fool 
and Christ is a fool in their eyes. Who wants to hear about a suffering Savior? Who wants to hear about a man who was crucified? That's not the person I want. We have many different reasons why, but at each point, it comes down to the same thing. This is foolishness. This is not true. And it is only faith that will break through that kind of darkness, that kind of mind that is opposed to Christ. So even as we rejoice, even as we take advantage of the benefits we have in Christ, as we take advantage of Christ, pray, pray, pray for those we know, those outside of Christ, that they too would see that they need Christ, they need the knowledge, they need the wisdom, they need the understanding, and they can have it too. They can have everything that they need in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, it is amazing. It is humbling. It is encouraging to read a passage like this and to see the fullness of what you have given us. You have given us your very own son. We don't need anything more beyond that. He is completely and utterly sufficient for us. He has given us knowledge and wisdom and understanding to know you, to love you, to serve you. And he's going to keep doing that. Even in heaven, we will never reach the end of what it means to know Christ. Lord, we thank you for saving us, for opening our eyes, for helping us to see that the cross is not foolishness, but is power. And Lord, we pray that you would open the eyes of the blind around us, those who are spiritually in darkness, who cannot see the goodness of Jesus Christ. Lord, they need understanding. They need the truth. They need the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do that because you are a God who loves to shine in the darkness and to bring people to salvation. And we pray that you would do this now in Jesus' name. Amen.